Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I remember in kindergarten, we had like a mock presidential election. And so this would have been 1992. And it was H.W. Bush and Ross Perot and Bill Clinton. And I distinctly remember voting for H.W. Bush. Well, I'm wondering, and this might come off as a bizarre question, but do you feel like you identified first as a Republican or as gay? (laughs) Well, outwardly, I don't know. I mean, I think I knew I was gay before I knew I was a Republican because I knew I was gay since I was little. This is Tyler Deaton. I grew up in Alabama and I grew up in a very religious family. And, you know, I'm definitely, I'm one of the, the guys or one of the kids that grew up in a, in a setting where I knew I was gay, like, from almost day one. So, I think I was gay first. Because <laughs> I was born gay. I wasn't born a Republican. I could have chosen to be a Democrat. I could still choose to be a Democrat. I won't. So can I just say, Tobin, when I hear the phrase gay Republicans, the image that comes to mind is a unicorn. (laughs) Okay. Because they're like a rare creature that I just don't understand. Yeah, I I hate to admit it, but I I kind of feel the same way. Like the overlap between gay and Republican, I, I don't quite understand. Which is why we're doing some teamwork today. Nancy and BuzzFeed News are coming together to dive into the world of gay Republicans. And bringing us along for the ride is Dominic Holden. Hello. Hi, Dominic. Hey, Dominic. Hi. Dominic, you have a very fancy title. Very fancy title. (laughs) (laughs) You are the national LGBT reporter at BuzzFeed News. Yeah. And actually, it was a piece of yours that got me thinking about all this in the first place— It was about who had access to Trump after the election. And you wrote about how folks like the ACLU, the Human Rights Campaign, they basically said, we've had no contact. But then these gay conservative groups, they were like, hello, we've been talking to Trump's team this whole time. Yeah, they basically scoffed at me. Uh, (laughs) They were like, "Uh, yeah, we've been talking to Trump's people. Um, We've been talking to these people for weeks and prepping them with the policies that we want to see them advance and also the Obama-era policies that they want to see protected. So it was like this difference between, you know, the left saying, no, we're not talking to them much, and the right saying, yeah, we have them on speed dial. And even more than that, they were making this case that if you want to see LGBT rights continue marching forward, that these gay conservatives, they're the ones who can actually get it done. I'm not going to lie, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, Kathy, that's what we're talking about today. I hate it when you do that voice. From WNYC Studios, this is Nancy. (laughs) With your host... Tobin Lowe and Kathy, too. Okay, so who are the big players here? Well, the best-known organization is probably the Log Cabin Republicans. And if there is one guy you know from Log Cabin Republicans these days, it's 
this guy. Joining us, uh, Gregory Angelo. Gregory T. Angelo. President of Log Cabin Republicans, Gregory T. Angelo. You can generally catch him on cable news talking about how LGBT people need to be able to defend themselves of with our guns. Constitutional right to uh, keep and bear arms. Uh, that's something that. We're throwing around terms like. By a radical Islamist in Orlando. And again and again, he gets hammered by questions like. But as a, a member of the LGBT community, I think people might wonder why you're not more outraged. I mean, like, you can see come on, dude. Log cabin Republicans have been fighting this fight for a long time. What are you doing with these Republicans? Who are you kidding? Are you fighting a losing fight? And every time Gregory does not blink, he is like a machine with a perfectly coiffed poof of blonde hair. I don't I don't think so, Larry. Certainly, uh, you know, I joke with people. I say my job is often the most frustrating, but sometimes the most thrilling. My father was and still is a libertarian. Uh, my mother was a classic Reagan conservative. Not that it mattered. Gregory says growing up, no one forced him to be a Republican. If you want any proof that conservatism is not genetic, my sister is just about as liberal as you can get. Anyway, Gregory graduates college, moves to New York, and one day in 2008, his friend writes him an email. With a simple five-word message. Check out Thirsty Thursday, bro. A bar mixer hosted by the Log Cabin Republicans. I showed up and I was met by, you know, people who I quickly felt were family. And remember, at the time, I was not even a registered Republican. But for Gregory, it's like he found his people. After all these years bugging boyfriends by insisting on watching The O'Reilly Factor every night at 8 o'clock sharp, I was finally able to talk with other people who also insisted on watching The O'Reilly Factor with their boyfriends at 8 o'clock sharp every night. I mean, it was, it was like, like a relief. Like I was finally able in many ways to like finally be my true self, both in terms of my sexual orientation and my political leanings. That's when Gregory says he joined the GOP, even with their track record of anti-LGBT policies. I, I opted in of my own will <laughs> to a party that I knew full well their positions on issues related to marriage equality, for example. But you know what? I looked at both parties and I said, you know, even despite those things, I agree with 95%, maybe even more, of what the GOP stands for. And I saw registering with the Democratic Party as being a far greater betrayal to who Gregory T. Angelo is than registering with the Republican Party. By the way, if you're curious, Gregory says that the T stands for thunder in Gregory <laughs> T. Angelo. Anyway, he's been working his way up the ranks of Log Cabin ever since, from volunteer to chapter leader, and he was named president of the organization in 2015. So that means his first presidential election cycle as head of Log Cabin was Trump's. I will do everything in my power to protect our LGBTQ citizens from the violence and oppression of a hateful foreign ideology. Believe me. And even though Log Cabin never formally endorsed Trump, it's clear Gregory was a fan. Here he is on Fox News. Say what you may about Donald Trump. And obviously he's a very polarizing and, and very divisive character. But we have never had a Republican nominee for president that has reached out so overtly to the LGBTQ community. Gregory and other gay conservatives were basically like, look, Donald Trump is the best candidate that we have ever had. So they were stoked 
to keep cozying up to Trump's people and then also make their pitch to Republicans in Congress. This is the uh, exclusive members-only Republican club on Capitol Hill. It's adjacent to the Republican National Committee, which is right over there. It's a couple weeks after the inauguration, and we're standing on a street corner in Washington, D.C. We are about to meet with uh, Congressman Scott Taylor, who is a freshman member of the House of Representatives, was just sworn in a month ago. The goal is to pitch his organization to this new congressman from Virginia, so that if he ever has any questions or if he needs guidance, maybe Log Cabin will be his first call. And plus, this guy, Scott Taylor, is of particular interest to Gregory because... When he served in the Virginia State Legislature, he was on record as supporting an LGBT non-discrimination bill. And that thing he just mentioned... LGBT non-discrimination bill. This is like the holy grail for LGBT activists, especially after winning marriage equality. Like, it doesn't matter if you're a liberal or a conservative LGBT activist. Like, this is what you want. Federal non-discrimination protections. Because right now, a lot of the rights are established state by state. And it's all over the map. If you're a trans person and you live in California, you have certain protections in housing and public accommodations at your job. But if you move to Florida... Like, this trans person can be fired just for being trans. There's no consistency at all. So uh, it seems to me that this could be an interesting opening for uh, not only a conversation, but to specifically talk about ways that uh, log cabin Republicans can collaborate with him and his office to advance uh, LGBT non-discrimination legislation on the federal level, which is certainly one of our legislative priorities now. Inside the Capitol Hill Club, we sit down in the formal dining room, There's red velvet chairs and gold curtains, portraits of many, many white men. It feels like a place your rich cousin might get married. And sitting across from Gregory is Congressman Scott Taylor, who at one point served as a sniper for the Navy SEALs. Yeah. And, you know, of course, I know I knew uh, gay and lesbian folks growing up and everything like that, and I'm from the uh, sort of a country type place, and they couldn't be out. They could not be out, you know, and um, and I feel sorry for them. You know, they, they, they couldn't just be themselves, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm so, I guess I have a little libertarian in me in that in that way. You, you know, be happy, be yourself. You know, I don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, gay marriage. You know, come up of course. And um, look, you should be as happy or as miserable as anybody else. <laughs> I would say that, I would say that, right? Like when we're advocating for marriage equality, it includes rights, responsibilities, and, and burdens. Sometimes burdens are a part of that, right? Sure. Um, one of the and then Gregory gets down to pitching. He goes through the whole log cabin platform. We are the only LGBT organization in the country that uh, supports preservation of our Second Amendment. Full repeal of Obamacare. And replacement, to be fair. And what he always calls radical Islamic terror. He's basically emphasizing the Republican in gay Republican. And there's an LGBT case to be made for all of those things. Um, To which Scott answers with his own experience going to a local pride celebration in his home state. Like, (laughs) not just going... Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm in the crowd, man. You know, I, uh, there was a, a speaking engagement, and then we were, there was a stage, and it had like a catwalk, and you had all these Democrats that were sort of before me, and with not really, you could tell they hadn't practiced their speech or anything like that. They were just assumed, you know, just took it for granted. You know, these guys, they're going to vote for me. You know what I mean? I, I thought it was crazy. So I walked down the catwalk, and I had a pink shirt on, and I, I said, fabulous in my speech. 
It was a little bit of that move of saying, you know, let me tell you about my gay friend. It's absolutely that move. <laughs> but, you know, he's trying. And I, I say this, you know, log cabin Republicans, I don't mind rolling up our sleeves and you know, going white knuckle for uh, hardcore defenders of anyone who's standing on the right side of history who supports log cabin Republicans and the principles we stand for. So think of us as friends in that regard. Too. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Questions for me. They shook hands, and then Representative Taylor took off for his next meeting. I'm not going to lie, that meeting kind of just sounded like a gay pride story and a handshake. To be fair, Representative Taylor, like, he'd casually mentioned during the interview that he wanted to introduce a bill to protect LGBT people in housing. And, I mean, I guess the fact that it's kind of boring and that they agree on everything— Like, that's the impression that Gregory wants to leave. Right. And even more than that, he wants them to feel like, you know, where we don't agree, we can probably meet somewhere in the middle. But where Gregory is willing to meet in the middle, like, let's be real, that would horrify some gay activists. I think what our movement needs right now is points on the board. Basically, he believes that any federal non-discrimination bill needs to include protections for religious liberty, for people who oppose same-sex marriage and LGBT rights. He's also said compromising on things like protections for trans people could be acceptable. We need to pass something, something substantive, something that maybe doesn't cover everyone in the United States. Um, so what I hear you talking about a lot is essentially like patience and playing the long game and sort of yep. getting something on the board now. So we as gay men, patience doesn't sort of touch our general rights, whereas for transgender people, patience possibly has much worse consequences for them. What do, what do you say to that? Oh, I, I don't know about that. I, I would I'd respectfully disagree in that, like, uh, you know, there were... Uh, there were same-sex couples during the marriage equality fight who had been together for 50 years, 60 years. We in the gay community were telling them to be patient as we were pushing for marriage equality. But, but I, I think just pushing urgency for urgency's sake is not something that ultimately will achieve those ends. In fact, it could actually postpone any sort of reasonable legislation from passing in the short term. But the fact that Gregory is even willing to talk about trans issues, it makes him kind of a moderate in the gay conservative movement. Right. And there's a whole community of these gay dudes who came out hot and heavy for Trump. Groups which, you know, we have to say are mostly led by white guys and very against making trans issues a priority. One of the loudest of them was Chris Barron. He ran LGBT for Trump during the campaign. He was on Fox just in late March talking to Tucker Carlson and saying, we need to forget about the bathroom war. The left has completely and totally ignored the fact that that Islam has a serious problem with gay people. We're not just talking about, you know, won't let people use the bathrooms that they identify with. We're talking about... Meanwhile, on the other end of the spectrum, human rights campaign calls bullshit. It's something that we as an organization have been really clear that we are not going to go down that road. This is HRC spokeswoman Olivia Allaire Dalton. She says protections for trans people are not a bargaining chip. We continue to be an advocacy organization that is going to fight for every single member of the community. And I think it's really critically important that we can't have this splicing off of some of the most vulnerable members of the community. The human rights campaign, which definitely swung for the fences for Clinton... You know, they're huge. 
They have connections with lawmakers. They have a massive constituency. They can work to stop or advance bills still. And just to give you a sense of scope, the most recently available tax forms from 2014 put HRC's revenue at $38.5 million. Compare that with a group like, say, Log Cabin Republicans. They took in less than 1% of that, $290,000. But even with HRC totally dwarfing them, gay conservatives are asking, where does that get you if you don't have access? Like When I'm talking about working with Republicans, it's because we need to. Like, if we're not at the table, if we're not making the case for LGBT freedom, I don't know who will. This is Tyler Deaton. He's the guy who voted for Bush in kindergarten. He lives with his husband in Maine, but he works in D.C. for a group called the American Unity Fund. He spends his day lobbying conservatives to support LGBT rights. So what happens? You call these people up who are in the administration, you go meet with them? Yeah, we call, we text, we email, we basically do everything except facts. We reached out to the White House numerous times for this story. No response. Anyway, unlike Gregory, Tyler doesn't see trans rights as negotiable. But he's still pretty adamant that an all-or-nothing approach is a losing game. For the LGBT community, these next four years, like, Again, we won't have success, we won't see progress unless we work with Republicans. He says if you're looking to get federal non-discrimination legislation passed, you go to war with the army you have. And I think it could be done in the next four years, and I think that that's something that this president would absolutely sign. I think that the bigger problem is Congress. Um, The bigger challenge is Congress. To get that done there is harder than having the president sign it. If we get it on his desk, he signs it. And like I've said to Tyler before, that's bonkers. Republicans aren't about to go for this, at least not anytime soon. But Tyler's a Republican. He can't align with the other guys. Yeah, I mean, look, it's hard. I get it. And I agree with it. Democrats have been better on LGBT issues. Democrats also signed the rotten nuclear deal with Iran, right? I also think Democrats are worse at spending my taxpayer money. So it's complicated. Right? I have a lot of issues that I'm concerned about. To be gay and a Republican is to also be constantly hopeful that your party is ready to change. But to really get a sense of whether or not they're truly accepted, we've got to go to the heart of the conservative movement. A place that hasn't always been welcoming to gay Republicans. But what about now? That's after the break. And we're back. We are. Okay, what's what's happening right now? Where are we? Well, we're going to head to the heart of the conservative movement, otherwise known as CPAC. That is the Conservative Political Action Conference, mm-hmm. if you aren't familiar. So it's this giant annual gathering of conservative politicians and lobbyists and just like straight up fans of conservatism. And it's been going since 1973. Ronald Reagan used to speak there all the time. It's kind of like the Republican version of Comic-Con. And we should say, if you're a conservative and also are part of the LGBT community... The intelligible end of the reproductive act is reproduction. CPAC has not always been the friendliest space to be in. Do you understand that? Civil rights, when they conflict with natural rights, are contrary. Now you sit down. The lesbians at Smith College protest better than you do. 
This is from 2010. That was the year CPAC first allowed a gay conservative group called Go Proud to be an official sponsor. And the reaction was not great. I'd like to condemn CPAC for bringing Go Pride to this event. This is Ryan Sorba of the Young Conservatives of California speaking at a panel that year. Bring it. Bring it. I love it. I love it. I love it. A bunch of big conservative groups boycotted. Go Proud was combative. And ultimately, they got kicked out of CPAC in 2012. It wasn't until last year, 2016, that the conference let another conservative LGBT group be an official co-sponsor. And that group was... Log Cabin Republican! Yes! (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. Right. (laughs) So this year's CPAC, it was in late February. At the Gaylord Yeah, more specifically the Gaylord Resort. We're at the Gaylord Resort Resort outside of Washington, D.C. And this is CPAC. Lots of big names this year at CPAC. Kellyanne Conway. I myself as a product of my choices, not a victim of my circumstances. Vice President Mike Pence. This is still government of the people, by the people, and for the people. President Donald Trump. And God bless the United States of America. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. And if you head down about two very large sets of escalators from the lobby. So we just walked into a full floor of expo space, wall-to-wall boots, all in red, white, and blue. We've got Breitbart merchandise for sale. We are under a Heritage Foundation sign that says, Opportunity for all favoritism toward none. In the middle of it all, just down the aisle from the NRA... We've got a Diet Dr. Pepper and a five-hour energy. And a five-hour energy, that's right. ...is Gregory T. Angelo. I was up very early this morning to Uber my way up to National Harbor and lugging all this stuff with me. I feel you. Really, I know, right? Like, <laughs> the glamorous life of a uh, president of a nonprofit advocacy group, right? Uh, <laughs> um, so people are, like, trickling in. What's the response? What are you hearing from people? There has been a, a constant stream of visitors here, people signing up for log cabin Republicans, people who can't wait to take a log cabin Republican sticker and give it to their gay Democrat friend when they get back home uh, to show them that they were visiting with the gay Republican organization or the LGBT Republican organization at CPAC of all places. But is this really a new CPAC? Are there actually a bunch of LGBT folks in the building? So I, I looked at Grinder because I wanted to find out if there were gay guys who were out as being gay and attending CPAC. And absolutely they were. There are a bunch of guys who, a lot of them have their faces posted. Some don't, but plenty of them do. Right. And um, or they're very clear about why they're here. They're here for CPAC. It's in their username, in their bio. Obviously, though, this doesn't necessarily mean they're out to everybody. They're only out to other gay guys like them who are in the CPAC area. But, you know, at the same time, prominently featured at the center of the expo floor is a giant booth for the Heritage Foundation, a conservative think tank that promotes anti-LGBT policies. These are our solutions cards. So it basically breaks down a number 
issues. For example, this is what they look like. This is a guy working the Heritage booth. He's showing us these giant flashcards they hand out with the main talking points of the foundation. You know, you've got voter integrity, cybersecurity, rebuilding constitutional government. Do you work with Heritage? I do, yes. Excellent. Um, we've been talking to people, and obviously Heritage is like a giant in conservative circles. Um, we were talking to log cabin Republicans earlier, and this is their second year in representing LGBT issues. And, um, you know, obviously Heritage has... I, I can't comment on any of that. You can't comment? No, sir, I can't. Um, who here can? Uh, we don't uh, do that. Uh, we're not like, involving ourselves in any sort of media thing. But, you know, he doesn't really have to say anything. Marriage and religious liberty are two of the cards. It's printed on the cards. The marriage card says that um, growing up with a married mother and father is a leading predictor of children's prosperity. Um, And redefining marriage makes the issue more about the desires of adults than about the needs or rights of children. Back at the log cabin table, we talked with a woman named Mackenzie. I'm very progressive in those issues. Why do you think conservatives are progressing or changing on LGBT? Because the world is. The conservatives are progressing because the world's progressing. You know, just keeping up with um, we the people and understanding, you know, the different backgrounds, demographics, sexual orientation, race, whatever. Um, that's something that needs to be kept up with politically. So Then there was Ellen and Ashlyn, a mother-daughter duo waiting to hear Vice President Mike Pence speak. They talked to us about their evolving views on gay marriage. Well, I don't support it personally in my own thoughts. That doesn't mean I'm going to not say it's okay. I just have a hard time wrapping my head around it. Not gonna, you know, go out and jump, I, jump on I the think bandwagon. Maybe what she's trying to say, or maybe how I see it, is that you know we may not agree with it as in how it aligns with maybe our religious beliefs or um, how we would conduct our personal relationships. But I have LG or I have homosexual friends from college. You know, it's just kind of always been a reality of social situations, especially in the millennial group. I think. What about when you tell people that you're a gay Republican? What do they, they say? say that that just cannot be. They say that it doesn't make sense. How can I be a Republican and gay at the same time? This is a college student named Nicholas. How long have you been out? Of uh, about three and a half years now, I believe. And do you find it's easy to be out and gay? Yeah, I would say that I've not had any problems. So, yeah. What about when you tell people that you're a gay Republican? Uh, yeah, I have some problems actually within uh, the LGBT community as well as uh, in more progressive type atmospheres, um, which is why I kind of criticize the left for saying they're progressive. I find that to be a bit more regressive. Uh, Do you think that the Republican Party is good on LGBT issues? Yes, I think so in many ways, especially with Trump and stuff. I think we're moving in the right direction. Uh, I think that there's just a lot of progress that's needed in both parties, actually. I'll admit... I was struck by how many people we talked to who seemed genuinely supportive. But their views on LGBT rights kind of started and ended with gay people. I see you've got your gays for guns sign. Yep. This is us circling back to check in with Gregory. What about trans people for guns? Maybe next year. <laughs> gays for guns, I mean, it's... I, I'm, I, I'm a lover of alliteration, and there is, you know, there, there is a, an organization out there called Gays Against Guns. And so part of the naming here was to show people who are 
who have heard about Gays Against Guns, that there is an organization that represents them if they are gay and supporters of the Second Amendment. But, but yes, for, for all intents and purposes, LGBT for guns is a part of the log cabin Republicans' uh, credo. Using the word gay as a euphemism for LGBT works great for signs, but when you use it as shorthand in policy, you run the risk of leaving behind whole groups of people. And that was particularly clear just a couple of days before CPAC started, when the Trump administration dealt a major blow to the rights of transgender people. So Donald Trump, who made a lot of overtures to LGBT rights when he was campaigning, yesterday withdrew the guidance concerning transgender protections in public schools. Um, What's your take on that? I'm not supportive of that. I mean, uh, we supported the Obama guidance for transgender students. This was a zero-cost executive action. It wasn't even legally binding. It provided a framework for public schools in their considerations of transgender student issues. And we certainly oppose uh, that guidance being rescinded. And we'll see, we'll see how all this will, will play out. I mean, this is an issue even before Trump rescinded this, this guidance. is something that was being adjudicated by the courts and is going to be heard in the courts less than a month from now, at the end of March. Um, so there, there will be an ultimate resolution to this, um, and it will, be, it will be soon. This telegraphs potentially a much bigger change of the federal government taking a sort of an anti-trans position about civil rights law. It could. I, I hope it wouldn't. By the way, Gregory is referring here to Gavin Grimm's case, which was set to go before the Supreme Court. But just weeks after we talked, the justices decided not to hear the case based in part on the Trump administration rescinding that guidance. And have but, you but communicated having, with the Trump administration about this guidance? Uh, I've certainly expressed that our opposition to it, yeah. And did you send them a white paper? or did No, you, we did not send Did you try to lobby them on this? This was a decision that, to my knowledge, came about very quickly. And there wasn't sufficient time that we had to push back on this in a way that would have been effective. I mean, this is something that Pence was talking about on the campaign, rescinding and I reported, you know, back last fall. Mm-hmm. So it's certainly known about. Have you reached out since uh, the guidance was issued to say that you don't think they should change their interpretation of Title IX? We've made that clear, yes. How so? We have communicated with the administration and let them know that we are disappointed in in, in this decision to rescind the guidance. I don't know what, what else we could do at this point. I gotta say, I'm not surprised that Gregory isn't that great at talking about trans issues because he's a gay white dude, kind of like every other person in this story. Fair. And not a coincidence. I mean, most of the leaders of this gay conservative movement, they're white gay males. Right. And so they reflect the same, like, homogenous block of white guys who are fundamental to Trump's base. And I think that the ones who are not pushing for trans rights, you have to ask this question, which is, are they here for full LGBT equality? Or are they basically saying, hey, don't leave me out of your Republican club? Right. And and that seems like it will remain an open question. I think— The other question which we have answered is whether or not they can get anything done under Trump. And in just these first couple months, it seems to me like the answer is doubtful. It's really hard to know. I mean, part of their point is totally legitimate. 
they are able to get in the door and speak to these people in a way that Democrats may not be able to. But like the real challenge for them is the fact that the Republican Party may not be as anti-gay as it was, but it's not pro-gay and there doesn't seem to be any motivation for it. So it's really a, a question of will anything get done? Is advocacy, whether it comes from the left or right, going to do anything? Part of me can't help but wonder if the future of LGBT advocacy is actually simply trying to stop bad things from happening. Hello? Hey, Tobin, how are you? Hey, Gregory, how's it going? All right, yourself? Doing pretty good. Uh, A month after CPAC, we checked back in with Gregory to see how he was feeling about the promise of the Trump administration, to see if he still felt like it was his moment. I came to the conclusion in the time since we were all last together that we are past a point in the LGBT equality movement in the United States where gay men speak on behalf of transgender Americans. And while you know transgender Americans were there for us in the marriage equality fight, I think it's important that we return the favor in that regard. And so, you know, what I've done is I have tasked transgender chapter leaders and members that we have with crafting what they would see as reasonable replacement guidance to the Department of Education, things that the DOE could suggest to America's public schools, school boards, and boards of ed in regard to um, reasonable ways to accommodate transgender students. Are you optimistic about how the administration will hear that or your access to them? Am I optimistic? Yes. Uh, I, I mean, I, I try not to be overly optimistic in my job, but you know, you're not going to last too long as the head of the LGBT Republicans if you don't have some tendency and inclination toward optimism. It's time. This episode of Nancy was co-reported with Dominic Holden of BuzzFeed News. Special thanks this week to a bunch of people. John Schober, Sarah Sandback for helping us get back and forth to Washington, D.C., Jen Shu, Amy Pearl for the great photos and videos you may have been seeing online. And speaking of online, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Nancy Podcast in both places. All right. The team. Producer. Matt Collette. Sound design. Isaac Jones with help from Matt Boynton. Fact checker. Michelle Harris. Editor. Jenny Lawton. Executive producer. Paula Schumann. I'm Tobin Lowe. I'm Kathy Too. And Nancy is a production of WNYC Studios.
if I talk to commercial radio, basically the pace is like this. <laughs> that's that's the way they talk. They're they gonna want make that for an hour straight. <laughs>